0: five years old through fifth grade if you are our guests we have Bible Explorers and we encourage you to introduce yourself to the teachers Don and Becky Flint and others uh, will be shepherding your kids teach them God's lesson uh, and God's word at a rate they can handle they enjoy that time if you want to scrunch together there are people that are way out back that can maybe sneak a seat in there and Hannah Testament's coming up. If you're uh, our guest with us this summer, we tried something last week, and the summer is a time, in my opinion, where you try new things. Uh, you, you, you eat different, uh, You maybe you exercise more, you, you spend more time in the sun, and uh, spiritually you can also do different things in different seasons. And it hit me on our road trip that what can you do uh, that would allow people that don't think like I do to still participate and worship Christ in church? We want it to be worship. But Hannah uh, thinks in pictures, she's a great artist, and maybe you also are a great artist and would like your hand at this. But what she does is she takes the sermon, and all through the week, she thinks about how could I illustrate this? Some of you are note-takers, but maybe some of you are visual note-takers. Seeing a picture of it actually might stick with you more than just reading it left to right. Others of you, like Christy Button, find typos in my sermons, let me know, read line for line, and uh, and she's, she's, she thinks that way, okay? Others of you might enjoy this, whatever way you would like to do it, follow along. You're going to need your Bible open in two places, Luke and Acts. You need page 885 in your pew Bible and page 909 in your pew Bible. Thank you, Holly, for reading God's word. So as you're turning to Acts 1 and Luke 24, many of you know me pretty well. And though I have grown in maybe some of the house projects and learning to be a man, I got my chainsaw for the first time this year, 12 years of being in New Hampshire. All right, so haven't used it yet, but I got one. That's the start, okay? All my limbs are still here. Uh, But one thing that I just certainly don't normally like to touch uh, is a car, okay? Mechanics are not my thing, but sometimes life forces your hand, you know what I mean? Well, there happened to be a day where Pastor Pat and I were in his super-duty Ford. This is a big truck. It's jacked up. We had tools in the back. We are about 100 yards from my house. Feeling like a real man in the passenger seat of this truck. And all of a sudden, we hear... Now, Pat does not listen to rap music, so he knew... <laughs> that it was not the beat. Okay, that was going on. He knew it was the rear tire of the driver side that it was a flat tire. I had no idea what was going on. Didn't even hear it. And uh but he gets out of the truck, so, you know, I get out of the truck. And uh and and we uh walk over. Now, you need to know this about Pastor Pat. He is always prepared. He's an Eagle Scout fighter pilot, police officer, pastor, and dad of two college daughters. And so whether it's for this life or the life to come, he is prepared, all right? He is ready. So we get out of the truck, we loosen the lug nuts, and by we, we really mean Pastor Pat, okay? And uh, and, and so, and so we loosen the lug nuts, we jack up the truck. Now the simple part, release the spare tire. I mean, that's, that, that, that's the easy part, okay? And so with the Super Duty, he has this huge long rod thing, and he has to slide it in between his license plate. The fact that he even knows that it's there and there's a hole is amazing to me. Pull out my phone, I got the flashlight. That's my job, okay? And I'm shining it in there, okay, just for him. And we get to the point where we realize that releasing the spare tire is going to be impossible without the right tool for the job. Some design engineer in Detroit making six figures decided not to make one universal tool. Why, how could he justify a six-figure income? So there's all these different tools to release a spare tire for every single different Ford F-150 super duty truck. All of a sudden we're frustrated, we're stuck there, we have to call AAA. What we realized is whether it's cars, whether it's house projects, or whether it is just life. It is frustrating not to have the right tool for the job. And when the Lord left this earth, he gave his disciples, including us, a daunting task. Look at Luke 24, verse 47. Luke 24, verse 47, this is our task. Christ says, And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. He wants us to proclaim his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. But the good news is, Jesus did not leave us without giving us the right tools for the job. And so, as Holly read Acts 1, we're going to see four essential tools for being an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. Four essential tools for being an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. The first one here is found in Acts 1, 1 through 3. That's, again, page 909 in your pew Bible. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In that first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them and his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Here's the first point. Real Christians, in order to be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands, have to think backwards. Real Christians think backwards because they have to get absolutely certain on the resurrection. Real Christians think backwards because they have to get absolutely certain about the resurrection. You can't be a witness. You can't be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands if you don't think Jesus is alive. Right? We see the disciples in their own testimony. When they did not believe that Jesus was alive, where are the disciples? Back fishing. They they go back to their old trades. That was a good run, three years, but let's just go back fishing. So the disciples needed to think backwards. They needed verification that Jesus is not dead. Friends, if you are here as an unbeliever, we expect you to be here. We are glad you're here. But aren't you glad that this morning you are not being asked to look to your feelings for faith? Aren't you glad that you're not being asked to look internally to believe in yourself? When you look at all the inconsistencies and disappointments that you've been... Christianity is asking you to look to the historical reliability of Jesus' death and his resurrection and that it is proven, right? Christianity is not based upon feelings. It is founded upon fact. Jesus has triumphed from the dead. Jesus has all authority over heaven and earth, Matthew 28. His cause is unstoppable because Jesus is alive in Matthew Chapter 16, verse 18, we hear Christ teach the disciples, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ is building his church. And we see that from the start all the way to where we are in Acts. Did you know that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts? And that Luke and Acts is really a two-volume work. So those of you that like DVR shows, I don't know what your favorite ones might be, but CSI or or, or almost any TV show that, that is in a series, if you watch it on DVR, what do they do for the first five minutes? They show you what happened in the previous episode so that you are ready for this episode. And that is exactly what Luke and Acts is about. How does the book of How does the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, how does it end with Christ risen from the dead and appearing to his disciples? How does the book of Acts begin? Christ risen from the dead, and what is he doing? Appearing to his disciples. For 40 days, he is teaching them. And so the disciples go from being cowards to now all of a sudden they are bold, ready to die for their faith, Because they've actually encountered a risen Savior. Let me ask you a question. Why are so many Christians living dead when Jesus is alive? Why are so many Christians living dead when Jesus is alive? Where's the boldness? Where's the faith? He's not dead, he's alive. So what are we afraid of? We have a man who walked out of the grave on our side. At some point, Easter has to stop being just the day that we celebrate and actually a life that we live. How can your faith be dead when Jesus is alive? Would you imagine with me just for a minute if the entire church started living like Jesus was alive? I think we'd all be like the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed. Christ is alive. He's risen. His cause is unstoppable. Church, are you absolutely certain on the resurrection by thinking backwards, get verification so that you can be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands? Second, let's look at verses 4 and 5. We'll give you your point after we read it. Verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What does he tell them to do? Stop. Wait. Don't depart from Jerusalem. Stay there. There is one more act that is going to be famous in redemptive history top five days in the christian calendar i don't know how you would rate them but certainly pentecost is going to be one of those days and he tells them you're gonna have to wait flip back to luke 24 he's going to say the same thing in luke 24 verses 46 through 49 luke 24 46 through 49 and he said to them thus it is written that christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are going to be witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Here it is. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Church, there's another gift that's about ready to be opened, right? You have to wait for this. Something amazing is about to happen, but you have to wait. Now think about your kids when it comes to their birthday. Are your kids like mine? Dad, how many days to my birthday? Some of you are adults, how many months until my birthday month? Okay? I mean, you celebrate the whole month just for you, all right? And there's probably an app, right, that can keep track of the days and the hours until your birthday, all right? And you can't wait. No one likes waiting. But Jesus says here, I have a promise for you. And here it is, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Church, you know what that gift is? It is not something, it is a someone. You will have power that you have never had before. You will have gifts that you have never had before. You will have boldness that you never had before. So what's the point? Point number two, real Christians think big. Real Christians think big because they get absolutely controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now when you think, think big, and you're listening to a preacher, you're probably tempted to think he only cares about numbers, noses, right? All those kinds of things, budget. But really what we're talking about here is we got to start thinking big in terms of gospel impact, both here in Loudoun and around the world. Church, do you realize it is impossible to have too big of a goal when it comes to gospel impact? Have we gotten so discouraged, church, that that we even get up gospel goals? Here's where you should start. Start with a gospel goal in your front yard. What's your front yard? Seeing your kids come to know Christ. That's where you start. But the gospel and the cause is unstoppable. And because the gospel is powerful to any that believe, we should begin to have visions and goals of gospel impact that are larger than our front yard, right? They need to grow. If you want to get excited about that, I had a chance this week to interview Sam Huggard from the EFCA, church planner, and Dave Pinckney, church planner, and he networks, guys. We recorded that interview about gospel impact and what a church like ours could do with church planning and what's going on in New England. You should listen to that 30 minutes on your commute this week. It is fantastic to get excited about what Sam and Dave Pinkney have to say, but do you have gospel goals? Have your gospel goals been too self-centered? Have they been too small? With Christ risen from the dead, we have to stop thinking small. Small is guarding our assets. Small is just trying to keep the status quo. Trying to keep the status quo for our time and our talents and our treasures. we got to start thinking big in terms of reaching people we see the disciples here, and they're saying, okay, just say in Jerusalem, God, is is now the time you're going to reach Jerusalem? Is now the time you're going to restore your kingdom? Is it just for us, Lord? And they would be really happy if it just came now and Jerusalem got saved and all their people were all set. And God says, guys, you don't get it. The kingdom isn't coming right now. It's going to spread from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And if you read through Acts, Acts 1-8 serves as your table of contents. It actually flows just in that way. They start in Jerusalem. Persecution happens. Could be a good thing. It spreads to Judea, Samaria. It ends in Acts 28 with Paul and Rome preaching the kingdom. And so it's going to grow. So how do you get a mission to change the world and even turn the world upside down? How would you get this going? You get a Harvard business plan? You know what? If only Bill Gates would leave the church an endowment. That's what would help. Or could we have politicians pass legislation? Or what if we got a dynamic celebrity rock star turned preacher? Then this mission could go to the ends of the earth. Then people would want to listen. Whatever you say, if only we had... That's what you're trusting in, right? That's what we're trusting in as a church. We all have these thoughts. Even if your life isn't like mine, thinking about the church all the time, as a parent, you have these thoughts too. As a parent, would you agree that all of us want to see our kids come to know Christ, repent and believe? And as a parent, you have good enough theology to know that what? You can't make them believe. All of a sudden, you begin to just feel really weak and helpless, isn't it? You need Jesus to do it. But at times, when our kids discourage us and it doesn't seem to be going well with all that we have done, we can begin to think, if we just had the right music, if we just had the right preacher, if we just had the right sermon length, a.k.a. shorter, <laughs> I'm not going to get that here, okay, but you know, if we just had the right sermon length, if we just had the right program, then we could get the right result. Church, if we can get it done, it isn't Jesus' ministry. If we can get it done with the right music, preacher, style, sermon length program to guarantee results, it is not Jesus' ministry. Faith family, it says here, God chose men of Galilee. Men of Galilee. Never has there been a more important task delegated or given to a more unqualified group of men. And God chose these men of Galilee to show us that it is the power of the Holy Spirit. Church. The church has tons of money. The church has brains. The church has organizations. Rivers of prayers. Oceans of sermons. You can download anybody you want, right, today. Oceans of sermons. But what the church lacks is power. She lacks the power of the Holy Spirit. All missionary success, all ministry success depends upon the power of the Holy Spirit both then and now. So Christ says, and you shall receive what? Power. Now what kind of power do you need? Many of you are going to think, oh, I need that dynamite power. That's not what we're going to talk about. We're not going to read back into the text a modern day invention. Paul did not know dynamite, so he was not referring to dynamite power. What kind of power do you need? To be a witness, an effective witness, you need two things. You need authority and you need ability. What do you need to be an effective witness? Authority and ability. Church, Christ gave the disciples authority when he commanded them in the Great Commission, go, make disciples, teach them all that I have commanded you, and baptizing them in the Father, on and the Holy Spirit. You have the authority from Christ on high who is reigning and ruling and delegates it to you. And guess what? Now, with the Holy Spirit coming in Acts 1-8, you also have the ability to speak. Here is the summary of the book of Acts. Acts is really about Jesus blessing his word through the power of the Holy Spirit. What is Acts about? Jesus blessing his word through the power of the Holy Spirit. Flip over in your Bibles to Acts 6-7. Acts 6, 7. And the word of God continued to what? Increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Who is the gospel for? Even religious people. Churchgoers. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. Keep flipping. Acts 12, 24. But the word of God increased. And what did it do? It multiplied. What is the book of Acts about? Jesus blessing his word through the power of the spirit. Acts 19 verse 20. Keep flipping. I love this verse. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So the Spirit provides the power, and the Word does the work. The Spirit provides the power, the Word does the work, and you're just a vehicle. That's it. So imagine if the entire church lived being controlled by the Holy Spirit with His authority and with the ability not to be about your little kingdom, but to be about God's kingdom. What I'm concerned about for our church is that God will not take our little thing, and make it a great thing if you happen to be controlled by just your thing. Whatever that thing is, it has to be this way, this is my niche, this is what I love about this place. No, church, get absolutely controlled by the Holy Spirit to be an instrument in the Redeemer's hand. Stop thinking small, think big in terms of gospel impact. There is no goal that can be too large with Jesus Christ reigning in all authority on heaven and earth is his. But real Christians also think outward. That's number three. Real Christians think outward by getting clear on the mission. Real Christians think outward by getting absolutely clear on the mission. Nothing kills a church faster than inward thinking. Our mission, much like the denizens, is not to provide religious services, but to proclaim the gospel. Amen? Amen. I know that I'm going to offend some of you, but that's okay. We could use your seat if you want to be here and to follow Jesus and make disciples, right? If you want a relaxing experience, I just met my neighbor. There is no sacrifice that is needed. You can join the Loudoun Country Club golf course. They have a restaurant and a bar, and it doesn't close until the last member leaves. So you want a relaxing experience? Loudoun Country Club, write down 106. It might be for you. But if you want a church that wants to challenge you and equip you to be about the mission of Jesus, then you're right where you're supposed to be. We are called to go and make disciples. Acts will not let us just think about ourselves within these walls. Look and see how Christ reorients the disciples' internal inward focus. Look with me at verses 6 and 7. So, when they had come together, they asked the Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to who? To us, the inside guys, to Israel. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. What is going on here? Sometimes we believe these disciples just don't get it, right? Friends, this is the last question that you get before Christ ascends to heaven. And you're kind of reading this and you're thinking, is that the best question you got? Is now the time? Is it going to happen now? that that, that, That's the question you want to live with? But Christ has been teaching them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. You need to remember that from Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 3. He's been teaching them about the kingdom for 40 days. Luke tells us in Luke 22 that Christ was teaching them that they would rule on thrones when the kingdom of God comes. So he's been training them and teaching them in that, right? The book of Luke and the Acts written by Luke begins with the kingdom in Acts 1-4 and Acts 1-8. And it also ends. It bookends Acts. Acts 28-31. The kingdom, we're going to have to learn more about that as the series progresses, but it's mentioned six different times. But this is what the disciples know so far. So far, the disciples know that the restoration of the kingdom will come when there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Christ has just told them, you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. They've been getting taught for 40 days about the kingdom. They're starting to do some connections. And they're thinking, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, kingdom. Hey, I, I know this one. It's from Ezekiel. It's from Ezekiel 39, verses 25 and 29. Is this the time? And so Christ has to clarify and reorient the disciples. Notice that Christ did not correct the fact that he would one day rule over Israel, but what he did correct was their desire to know the timing. Would you agree that there's just certain things in life that if you knew the timing of, it would just mess you up in your mission? What if you knew the timing of your death? That's just something that's not good for us to know. It's not going to help us be about the mission. And so Christ says to them, it is not about when, it is about how. That day is going to come, but until then, it is about what you're supposed to be doing. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The kingdom comes when the king is made known and the gospel advances so the king can be known and believed in, and it continues to work from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the end of the earth. Christ could not have been more clear on what is the mission of the church. Is the mission of the church Christian fellowship? Now, I love Christian fellowship. We have more people in our house. We love having people over. We enjoy that. Christian fellowship is needed. But Christian fellowship is really partnership for the sake of mission. That's what I love about our small group, and I'm sure my small group's a lot like yours. We get together, we've adopted a missionary, we pray for our missionary, we send packages to our missionary, we talk about how we are being witnesses with our neighbors and our co-workers, and we pray for each other because our fellowship is for partnership in the gospel. So I'd say this, if your Christian fellowship does not include partnership for the gospel, it probably isn't really true Christian fellowship. It has to be on mission for what God has tasked us to do. Here's the good news. We get to go and tell all that we've seen and heard. So what qualifies you to be an effective witness is an encounter with Jesus. Think about the woman at the well. Come and meet a man who told me all that I ever did wrong. Think of John 9. I don't know how it happened. I once was blind, but now I see. Why don't you go and meet him? So if all you need to be to be an effective witness is to have an encounter with Christ, I guess the real question would be, church, have you encountered Christ? I don't know how you couldn't testify about him if you hadn't met him. Everyone that has truly met him opens their mouth and says, come and find this treasure. We're a faith family. A faith family. And we don't want to give ourselves to anything that doesn't require faith. We don't want a comfortable church. And imagine if our entire church got absolutely clear on what the mission is and we started growing and thinking outward to be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. We can activate our faith by thinking backwards, by thinking big, by thinking outward. And finally here at the end of Acts, we can finally think upward. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. Two angels, Christ's resurrection, the angels say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Christ's ascension, the angels ask another question, right? What is their question? Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven. He will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Real Christians think upward because they want to get absolutely confident in Christ's reign and return. Get absolutely confident in Christ's reign and return. Church, if we are not certain that Christ is currently reigning and that he will return, we will stand. We will wait. And we will just stare. We won't go. We'll want to guard our assets. until Maybe he's going to come back. We don't know when. What's he doing up there? Nothing. We're losing all this ground. That's what we're going to be afraid of. We'll even decry all that we've lost as a nation. Ah! Right? We'll do all that. But faith, family, God has a plan. Christ is reigning in heaven. The throne is not vacant. He is on it. Providence is not a train off the tracks. Christ is moving and building his church and moving the mission forward. And it's because of Christ's ascension and the church's mission that they go hand in hand. Because as he ascends to the throne of power, He can offer his power in the promise of the Holy Spirit. As we move through the book of Acts, you will see the disciples continue to get more and more bold. What is bold? Clear in the face of fear. Clear in the face of fear. That's what the disciples are going to be. Because they saw Jesus reigning. So I ask you, can you imagine if real Christians were confident of Christ's current reign in his return? What would be different? if we really believed that Christ was reigning right now and that he was going to return. I think all of us would want to be found faithful if the master was to what? Return right now. We want to be doing his work. We don't want to be sitting there on our thumbs. We want to be active, engaged, verified, thinking backwards, thinking big, controlled by the Holy Spirit, thinking forward. Who else is this gospel going to reach? Because we know he is going to come back. So, would you notice that there is a one-to-one equivalent between what Jesus does and what the church does in conclusion? Look at verse 1 again. I've been struck by this for the past couple of weeks. Luke says, I have dealt with all that Jesus, what? Began to do and teach. Luke didn't write about all that Jesus did and teach, right? He wrote about what Jesus began to do. Which means what? The book of Acts is a book about what Jesus continues to do. It's about what Jesus continues to do. When you get to Acts 9, and Saul is persecuting the church, what does Jesus ask Paul, or ask Saul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But where's Jesus? In heaven. Why are, and Saul is persecuting the church. How closely does Jesus identify with his church of what he is doing? You see that church? So what Jesus began to do and teach. He got baptized, and then his ministry started. Acts 1, the church gets baptized by the Holy Spirit, and now what happens? Our ministry gets started. But it's what Jesus began to do and what he continues to do. So this can be an encouragement and a rebuke. First, an encouragement. This is Jesus' work. This is Jesus' ministry. Jesus is alive and well. His power was not diminished by the cross, but fulfilled. All authority has been given him. Church, we don't serve a little Christ. We serve an exalted Christ with power for the whole world. But it's also a rebuke. How is it a rebuke? This is not your thing. We are not about writing a story of FCBC. Lights are going to come on. Yeah, keep hitting them. There we go. Good timing, Tim. Thanks, brother. He really just wanted to stretch. All of you are jealous. Sit in the back, you get a stretch. All right. How is it a rebuke? It's not your thing. We are not about writing a story of FCBC. That's why we don't just pray for our church. We pray for other churches. We pray for other missionaries. It's not just our thing. This is not a story about who is your pastor. There are certain churches that really wave that banner. We have this Dr. So-and-so pastor. Oh, we go to this pastor's church. And it's all about that guy. Not here. Different preachers all the time. Different men sharing God's word. This is not a story about any denomination or any conference. It is not even a story about your ministry. Whatever it is in this church or out there in the world. If you are the star of the show... You are putting on the wrong show. It is about what Jesus began to do. It is his gospel, his power, his word, his ministry. And Christ says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Friends, Christ does not ask you to build his church. He does that. What he asks us to do is this. So, plant water, but not build. So, plant Water. I will build my church. We're going to prepare for communion. As the men will come forward. We'll get ready for that.